0: You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor
1: of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart.
0: Well, good morning. Uh, We are grateful for the opportunity to gather this morning, it's uh, always a privilege to um, open the Word of God, and we come today for a special um, a, a special pers- person and a special purpose, and I'm glad you're able to join us if you're here on the channel. We want to welcome you if you're here for the first time, and uh, today, you know, the admin reached out to me this morning, and obviously last night we lost a, a dear patriot and a friend to many. And a great example, and uh, we come today just to celebrate uh, that time and that remembrance. And they asked that I would come in and give a message of encouragement in these difficult days uh, for which we live. And that's my hope today is that I can encourage each one here um, and uh, that you can leave uh, from this channel and uh, go back into your channels. And encourage one another, and so we let's begin by opening with a word of prayer, and I'll I'll ask Michael if he's available. Maybe uh, you could open us in prayer, Michael, and then we'll jump right into the message.
1: Sure, Pastor. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We come to you this morning with heavy hearts, Lord. We ask that in this time that that your wisdom would be exactly what we need in this moment, Lord, that it would be absorbed into our hearts and minds, and that as Pastor Stewart speaks your words, Lord, that he would be guided, and that you would use your gentle hand to put us all at ease, for growth is painful. And Lord, you are our antidote to pain. We pray that you would help us, Lord, in the coming days, keeping us calm, reacting out of love, patience, and kindness. Lord, we praise and thank you for the blessings that we're about to receive through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Michael. And again, we want to welcome you this morning, and if you're joining us for the first time, we're grateful to have you, and we pray that today will be an encouragement. I would first like to uh, just, for all of the friends and family, express our, our, um, our sorrow for your loss, and uh, I know that Veronica was a very special person in, in your life and in the lives of many, and I, and I hope that through this message uh, today, that that God will give you something to hold on to, that, that He will give you a hope and a peace that, that ultimately surpasses all understanding. And so I want us to take a, a moment and look into one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible when we lose a loved one, because I believe this passage gives us a pathway to peace. And right now what we need is peace. Uh, There is lots of emotion stirring, lots of anger, lots of bitterness, and lots of sadness. And there's even a level of rejoicing in some way to know that Veronica is in the presence of the Lord. And I hope that we can rejoice in that uh, hope, uh, the hope of eternal life absent from the body, being present with the Lord. And so as we look this morning, I want us to turn our attention to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Today in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, we find one of the most profound messages in all of the Bible— it is the foundation of hope, it is the foretaste of heaven, it is the fulfillment of healing and it is the finality of holiness. But one thing that we need not forget as we gaze into the beauty of this passage and that is its exclusivity. When it comes to heaven, there is but one way and that is the way of Jesus. Christ. First Peter chapter two, verse four says that Christ w- was chosen by God to be the Savior of the world. John three, thirteen says that Jesus is the only way to have come down from heaven and return back. Hebrews 4.15, he is the only person that had ever lived the perfect human life. 1 John 2, two says that Jesus is the only sacrifice for sin. Matthew 5.17 says that Christ alone fulfilled the law and the prophets. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 claim that he is the only man to have ever conquered death. 1 Timothy 2 5 reminds us that Jesus Christ, listen, is the mediator between God and man. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, God has exalted Christ to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in our passage today, Jesus declares that he is the way the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, in life, there are many choices. You you may get to choose between 200 plus flavors of Lay's potato chips. You you may get to choose uh, 126 different brands of bottled water. But when it comes to heaven, When it comes to your eternal state, listen, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is not a good way. He is not the best way. He is the only way. And because Veronica had put her faith in Christ, she has experienced eternity. She is standing before the presence of the Lord. Turn with me, if you will, to your Bibles. John chapter 14, 1 to 6. If you don't have them with you, I'm going to read the passage. So don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll read if you're if you're in a car or something. Obviously, we don't want you to get in an accident. Here in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, he reads Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself. That where I am, there you also will be. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. In the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Today in John chapter 14, there, there we are, find ourselves in the upper room discourse. Christ has begun to approach Calvary. The devil has done his deed and entered into the heart of Judas, and he is well on his way to the cross jesus with his remaining faithful disciples and even though i could imagine the hurt that peter sustained when jesus basically told him listen you will deny me three times very soon they are distressed nonetheless he is with his disciples he is teaching them great truths that they will need to be reminded of when he leaves this earth and he wants them to make he wants to make sure that they are well equipped and, and and then they have no confusion as to his promises. And listen, these promises are truth that should warm your soul today, especially in light of what's happened this morning. And so Jesus here begins to encourage them with a message of comfort, a message of peace. And I believe we are living in a day when we need that same comfort and that same peace. Because of the loss of Veronica, many, again, are are experiencing great pain and hurt. And I know her husband, Larry, is devastated. So we need to be in prayer for the family and the friends. And we need to cast some hope and comfort and peace and truth. We need that message that reminds us of God's goodness and encouragement even in the face of tragedy. Now, the disciples are really not sure here in this upper room what he is talking about when Jesus says that he's going away. He's already predicted his death. He has completely made them uncomfortable and discouraged by washing their feet and serving them as a servant. And then he has announced to them that one of them is the devil and will betray him. And there he washes the feet of Judas as he peers into the eyes of the devil. I feel certain these disciples are discouraged. They're trouble-hearted. They're lacking peace and understanding. There's confusion and chaos. And they're scared, and they're wondering how, and where is the Lord going? And why can't we go? Christ is about to give them hope. Jesus is about to grant them peace. That it's all going to be okay. Three things I want us to see from this text today that I want us to understand and 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 I believe will give you hope as you as you walk through these uncertain days, and that is the hope of heaven. Listen, I want you to understand three things. First, heaven is a prepared place. Secondly, heaven is a promised place. And thirdly, heaven is a private place. First, I want us to consider the fact that heaven is a prepared place. That sometimes that uh i'm always curious about something that i believe that's kind of built within our dna is is the need for stability is the need for security and i think we 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 do deserve that veronica deserved that security and that stability she she deserved to be in a place where her request could have unfolded the way she wanted it. I think about my own family and my wife and her need and her desire for, for nesting when we started having all of our children after seven. Um, we kind of came to the realization that uh, it was important to her, this stability, this security, and the need for us to have a place to to live and to raise our children and stability. Listen, is one of the reasons we spend as much time as we do on our homes and our places of comfort. And that's because we want to, to to live and to be in a place that is welcoming and cozy. We want to feel that security. And I think with the current circumstances, we all want that in our time of need and in our time of illness in our in our hospitals. We want to be able to trust those who we've trusted our lives to. We want that security and that stability. But the problem is this it's all a false sense of security. We know that because, well, we, we watch hurricanes happen and blitz through our homes and tornadoes absolutely devastate and destroy. Floods come through and they just wipe out everything. Evil enters the hearts of people and people become wicked. And, and what we had hoped for, we no longer can hope for. And so we, we, we find ourselves in a place of insecurity. But what Jesus is about to disclose to us here is the offer of security and an authenticity of stability that will never be destroyed. It will never let you down. So that's why Christ can say here in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so, as we come together this morning, I wonder how many people's hearts are troubled, devastated. The first command he gives here is to not let our hearts be troubled. And God doesn't want, even in the midst of all that's happening today, he doesn't want our hearts to be troubled. But why shouldn't their hearts be troubled? Why shouldn't our hearts be troubled? I mean, here in the text, the Savior has admitted that he is going to die, that he is going to give up everything for them. Listen, they had given up their lives to follow after Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says he is going to be crucified. Why wouldn't they have troubled hearts? So the command seems to be rooted in their belief in God and in Christ. You see, we live in a world full of troubled hearts. Depressive episodes is, listen, the highest among individuals between 18 and 25. 8.7% of women are said to have depression. 5.3% of men are said to have depression. And in a time like today when we suffer the loss of a loved one, the reality is is we find ourselves troubled in our spirit. Because, listen, there's nothing worse than death. Death is a result of the fall of man. God did not create humanity in that fashion. No, he created them perfectly in the Garden of Eden. But when sin entered into the world, he said, From the day you eat, you will surely die. Now, they didn't die physically. No, they died spiritually. And they begin to age. And because they begin to age, death would be in their future. And so sin has spread to all men. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is a reality. Listen, troubled hearts are on steady rise. Maybe you come today and there's a genuineness that you are struggling with a troubled heart. The truth is we are commanded to not be troubled. But many come today discouraged, in fear, walking in worry. And the Lord says, no, 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 my child. Why? Well, because Christ has given them a twofold reason. First, he wanted these disciples to put their trust in him. But what did David say when he had a troubled heart in Psalm 56.3? He says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I think we can all agree that in this life we will all experience troubles. Jesus warns us of that. But here the Lord was commanding not to do that. But because you walk in fear and your troubled souls, you are walking defeated. We don't want to walk in regular defeat, do we? We don't want to walk with regular troubled hearts, do we? Christ says no. As a child of God, we have the Spirit of God living in our souls. We are in union with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives or you who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a power and love and self-control. Listen, Christ is speaking to his disciples, not some unbelieving Jew. And he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The first reason we should not walk around today with a troubled heart is because we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, if Veronica has put her faith in Jesus Christ, there is hope for her. And that hope is eternal life with her Savior, with her Lord, as he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, Christ understands we must believe his words, and he is about to give them second reason they should not be troubled and it, and it will, should give them hope and assurance. But if they fail to hold fast to the first reason, that they can't believe in His words. If they fail to understand that His word is truth, not this man-made truth that doesn't really relate to biblical truth, but I'm talking about if they don't understand that His living and active word is truth, then they cannot find comfort. And that goes for all of us today. Can I challenge you? Can I call you today to, listen? to believe in God, believe in Christ and his word so that, number one, you can find salvation through the gospel, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But secondly, so that you can find comfort and peace in your troubled soul. Jesus is about to speak hope into the life of these men, and he's going to do the same for us today as his children listening, even in 2021. But it begins by first believing in him. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him until He will make straight your paths. It begins by believing in Christ. I mean, we believe in everything else in the world. We see it on the news. It must be true. We see it on social media. It must be true. It must be accurate. Listen, how much more should we believe in Christ and his living and active word? When he says believe, this is a steady and ongoing relying and trusting in the, the, the Lord, even in the face. Of death, even in the face of trials and tribulations, even in the face of chaos which we find in our nation, even in the face of hospitals that are no longer trustworthy, even in the face of the worst experience we can have, we must trust in the Lord. Listen, it's expected that we will be crushed. When we lose a loved one, death brings pain. When someone hurts us, it brings pain. When a spouse walks out on us, it brings suffering and pain. When we get the news that we have cancer, it brings pain. When you lose a job or your home or a spouse or a child, and then you find yourselves living on the street, it brings pain. Troubled hearts. Listen, we're living in days when it's hard not to have a troubled heart. But he has commanded us not to. To solidify the second reason to not be troubled in our hearts comes in verse 2. And here is why when he says in verse 2, In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Did you hear that? Heaven, listen, is a prepared place. This should indeed help offset the pain of loss. It it should grant us a, a future hope for a better life, a security, listen, that can never be removed, knowing that we can reign with Christ eternally. And so he grants them the reason for hope. He grants you the reason for hope. And he said, I am going. And listen, he has gone. And he has prepared a place for all of those that would put their faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't get there on their own. And they didn't even quite understand it until after he was crucified, buried, and rose again from the grave. Jesus has prepared a place for them and for us. That Father's house, heaven, lives and has many rooms, and it gives the idea of a welcoming, cozy place, a dwelling awaiting us at the end of this life. Imagine for a second that when Veronica stepped in out of this life into eternity, that she was there with the Lord in this place that God had prepared for her. When you depart from this life into eternity with Christ, the reality is that Christ said, it's already prepared. And it's awaiting your arrival. Jesus wants to make sure that we understand, listen, he is not a liar. If he said it were so, he says, I would not have told you because I'm not a liar. He is, listen, an all-knowing God in flesh. And so Jesus went to the cross, and after his death, he ascended up to the right hand of the Father, and he went and prepared a place for you for all that would believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ everything is there and is in order, and Jesus awaits his children. Listen, you are going there or he is coming here. It really makes no difference. The question is, which side of the line are you on? John 6, 36 to 40 reminds us all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He is coming here or we're going there. We will all step into eternity, some for heaven and some for hell. The way is broad, and many are those who enter by that gate. But the way is narrow, the path is skinny, that leads to life, and few are those who enter by it. Listen, the Scripture teaches too things you either are of the, uh, of the devil you're a child of Satan John :44 or you are a child of God John 1, 12. every person in the sound of my voice falls into these categories you can't be a child of God and also be a child of Satan We are created by God. We see that in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, and in Romans eleven thirty six 36, and in Colossians 1, 16. But we are not all children of God. Psalm 51 reminds us, five, verse 5, that in our mother's womb, we were born into iniquity. Perhaps no better verse of Scripture makes this point than John 1, 12 to 13 when he says, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but rather of God. He, it, is, it is almighty God that gives you the right to become children of God. You must believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we aren't born children of God. We are created by God, but we are born into sin because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's regeneration. It's being made alive. It's being given new life that makes one a child of God. Sin ruins us. Sin is an archery term. In the Greek, it's called hamartia. It, 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 the, the objective of the archer is to shoot the bow, shoot the arrow, and hit the bullseye. Sin simply means miss the mark. You haven't been perfect. You've missed the mark. No one's been perfect. There was only one perfect, one able, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 51.5 again says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Life, listen, begins at conception. Sin penetrates our soul at conception. In our pre-conversion state, listen, we are sinners. Ephesians 2, 3 say, Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. When we are looking at the doctrine of justification, we, 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 we are justified before God. We are declared right before God. We, 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 we are guilty in sin. We've broken the law of God, and the righteous judge must punish sin. So it's important to understand that. Yes, we are created in the image of God, but we're all born into sin, and we must repent, believe the gospel, and be saved. Listen, heaven is a prepared place, but only for the children of God. And thus hell is the final eternal prepared place for those who are not children of God. So the question that should all drive us to ask is how do we become children of God? There must be the great exchange. You're sinful, separated, and guilty. You've broken the law of God, but God sees your inability. God sees your incapability, and rather than destroying you like we deserve, He prepares provides a method for us to be saved, and is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when I understand Veronica had put her faith in Christ, and she was a living example of that, and she loved the Lord, and because of that, through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, she has hope. Because while yet we were sinners, listen, Christ died for us. Forgiveness of sins can only be based on the substitutionary death of Christ. He has credited to our account his righteousness. It's called imputation. is the method by which God, through his doing, takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it and credits it into the sinner's account, deeming him as righteous as Christ in the eyes of God. There Christ has indeed taken the punishment for your sin and for those in Christ, so that you are indeed no longer under the condemnation of God because of your sin. Jesus paid it all. It is vital to understand that God, through His sacrifice, through His death on the cross, covering our sins, allowing God to see us as perfect and unblemished, because as believers and followers of Christ, God sees Christ's own righteousness when He looks at us. And this meets God's demand for perfection. Thus, He declares us righteous, not because of who we are, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And He justifies us. He declares us right. And He then adopts us as children of God. And we become part of the family of God. We become children of God. This should drive you to plead with people to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Where will you go when you die? Death is something everyone in this chat will experience at some point in their life. Every single one of us will step into eternity. But I want you to know the hope is that heaven has been prepared for those that would believe. Heaven is a prepared place. We believe in Christ, not so that we can gain security and stability and comforts of heaven, but because we understand that we've indeed offended a holy and perfect and righteous God that demands justice. And so we put our faith in Him who God has provided as our means of salvation so that we can experience the place that God has prepared for us. So what is stopping you from trusting in Christ for your salvation? Listen, heaven is a prepared place. But secondly, I want you to understand heaven is a promised place. Notice the promise he makes here are to the children of God. He says, if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. This is a promise. Jesus has just said that if I go, I will come, I will return, and I will come back for you. Listen, at the second coming of Christ, Matthew reminds us that the angels gather the elect in Matthew 24, 30 to 31. But here Jesus promises that he will come personally in the second coming. We are told that saints will come with Christ. There is a great theological truth here. And for one of the reasons we hold uh, to the pre-tribulation rapture, Christ has promised that he will return in order to take his disciples up to heaven and not bring judgment. This is promised. This promise of going to our dwelling places in heaven is never fulfilled with a post-tribulation rapture situation. In that scenario, the saints join him in the air and then immediately escorted down to the Mount of Olives. But the rapture beforehand, in which the saints will go to heaven in their dwelling places, fulfills the promise of John 14. There is hope here. There is a great extent of hope. He says, I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. That we'll be together in the prepared dwelling place that he has made for his children. There's no judgment here in this promise yet. There there isn't the establishment of his kingdom at this point. Listen, heaven is a prepared place to those in Christ. You can experience it with the Lord, if you will put your trust in Him. This prepared and promised place will be amazing. The Bible teaches that after passing from this life, those who are in Christ will be going to be with the Lord in this promised place that has been prepared for us, which is heaven. Listen, heaven is a great and wonderful place. It's a much better place than we are here today. We we mourn over the loss of Veronica, but we ought to be deep down inside jealous because she is in the perfect place. Heaven listens a real place. It's not a state of mind or a state of nonexistence. No, we see that in Revelation four one to three and Colossians three one and two. Listen, he- heaven's a holy place. Psalm 20, verse 6 reminds us, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy hill with the saving strength of his right hand. Listen, heaven is a joyful place. Luke 15, 7 and 10, there is joy among the angels over one sinner that repents. Heaven is a peaceful place. When we were reminded in Revelation 21, 4, There will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. There is no sin, and there is no effect of sin. The greatest news is that Jesus Christ promises that He will return to gather us up. This should cause you to rejoice for those that remain. But if you are not in Christ, should cause your struggle in your soul. His promises will stand. His word is truth. He does not lie. He is honest. And He has promised you and me there is a greater reality, and it will come to pass. Listen, heaven is a prepared place. It's a promised place. But lastly, I want you to see that heaven is a private place. Jesus comes out and tells them these disciples that I'm going to prepare a place and I will come again and to you guys and 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 he reminds them in verse 4 he says and you know the way I'm going And old doubting Thomas in verse 5 as always doubting says to him lord we do not know that where you are going how do we know the way there is confusion there's doubt as to what Jesus has said at this time, there seems to be some inability to grasp this grand truth that Jesus offers them. I mean, His disciples saw the Messiah as the conquering king deep down inside of their hearts. They truly believed that He was their Messiah. They believed that He would be the one that would free them from Roman oppression. They believed that Jesus would restore Israel's sovereignty and glory and extend it over into the world. And the concept of a dying Messiah had no place in their theology. And so what He said didn't make sense. It didn't line up with their traditions and their beliefs. Listen, just because they believed in that didn't make it true. It actually made them wrong. They had stinking thinking. And there's a lot of stinking thinking going on in our world today where we think for one second that we can bring heaven to earth and that we can have a a, a Jolostinian theology that says you can have your best life now. If you think this is your best life now, you have no hope for a future hope, which is heaven, which Veronica is experiencing today. They didn't understand. They didn't know the way. How do, how do we know the way? Jesus patiently declares the amazing truth to them, and he, and he completely sends the postmodern world into a frenzy in His next statement when He said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. And do you know the way? Guys, it's me, Christ. I am the way, he says. Jesus is the road that leads to God. The Greek phrase there, odos, is in the singular, not the plural. Christ makes his way exclusive. He makes his way private. Listen, I can try and, and show up in some fancy place and enter through their private gate, but they will not let me in unless I have a pass to get in the gate. They call this a private community for a reason, because only certain people are welcome in. Listen, I want you to tune your ears in and don't hang up now, because here's the reality. Heaven, my friends, is a prepared place it is a promised place but make no mistake it is a private place and only those who are children of god those that have believed the gospel of the lord jesus christ through his death his burial and his resurrection that he is sufficient for their salvation they are the only ones who are able to enter in And for that, we can give hope, and for that, we can give excitement for Veronica as she is now in the presence of her Savior, her Lord Jesus Christ, by which I hope you have the same hope. It's a private place. But I want you to know, everyone listening in the sound of my voice, you can get in if you have the ticket. Jesus says he is your ticket. He says, I am the way. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 said, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, he died for the sins of the world. And in 1 John 2, 1-2, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, which we all have, we have an advocate with the Father, who Jesus Christ, the righteous, For and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world. Listen, repent of your sins. Anything you've said that has broken the law of God, anything you've thought that has broken the law of God, anything you've done that has broken the law of God is sin. The price I want you to know has been paid. The tickets have been purchased. Now, we don't believe in universalism, but while it is sufficient for all, listen to me very clearly today, it's only effective. It's only efficient. To those that believe. What makes it a private place is that Scripture teaches Jesus is the only way. He is not a way. He is not a best way. He is the only way. He is a, an exclusive way, and it's by the way of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 reminds us there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to me. Death is hard. Death is painful. But to those that are in Christ, listen, death is just a step into eternity. He who has the Son has the life. Listen, when you put your faith in Christ, it's in the temporal. It's in the now. It's in the present tense that you have eternal life. Life eternal isn't just some future expectation. No, when you believe the gospel, the Bible says you have eternal life. You are living for eternity in that very moment, and so it's more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Death is just a step into eternity with Christ in the Father's house, which was prepared beforehand and promised to those who are in Jesus Christ. Paul struggled with life, didn't he? In Philippians, he talked about it. Because he knew it was better to go home to be with the Lord, yet he had lots of work still here to do on this earth. Many souls needed to still come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. But he struggled with wanting to go home to be with the Lord. You see, we have a hope in Christ. But without Christ, there is no hope. I can't give you any hope today apart from Christ. I can't give you hope without Jesus Christ, because without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Listen, without Christ, you will die in your sins. And to all of those that have believed and trusted in Christ, listen, none of you, none of them will be disappointed. Christ is the way. It's the sixth I am statement in John. And he says, I am the way. Because he is the truth and he is the life. Here is a a quote from Thomas Kempis: a meditation. Follow thou me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the invoidable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated we worship a sovereign God who is in absolute control of everything happening in this world. You can have today as a blessed hope of right standing before God and a place prepared, a place of peace when you step into eternity. And it's all about your faith in Jesus Christ. This is the key passage in all of John. The purpose statement of John is found in John 20:31. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Listen, my friends, heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is a promised place. And heaven is a private place that you can only obtain by having life, by being made new in Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So can I ask you a question today? Would you believe? Would you trust in the Savior? I know that Veronica is in the presence of the Lord, and if she could say one thing today. She would call you to trust in Jesus. She would call you to put your faith in Christ because heaven, oh, it's a glorious place. And one day when you stand before the Lord, He will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. If you will put your faith in Christ, and one day you will be able to celebrate with Veronica there in heaven as you go to your prepared and promised place. Father, we thank you for today. We pray that if there be any that have never put their faith in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would believe the gospel and that they would be saved. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast.